If floating your knee down the road really softly relaxes your hips and opens up your stride and, and you'll probably find a lot more rhythm and fluidity. I, I like people to think about rhythm and fluidity when they run and it'll, it'll all be fine. Um, we don't want staccato. So if you go, if you're working on cadence, you want to take 180 steps a minute, it's like it's, it's tap, 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 staccato. It makes people tense. And I mean, that's why they have drums before you go to a wall. It's because you're trying to build a bit of backbone into people. So I think it's the enemy of fluidity. Running should be, you're breathing in, you're getting kind of bigger, you're breathing out, you're rounding softer, and you're, you you learn to find the, the, rhythm, the rhythm and fluidity when you move. So welcome to another episode of Run For Your Life. This is Dr. Mark Kukazella. We're missing my friendly partner, Sarah, tonight, but we have a really exciting guest, my friend Lawrence Van Lingen, who's um, dialing in from L.A. And uh, Lawrence is a fascinating uh, athlete and clinician in the world of running and sports medicine. As a little, little background, I met Lawrence in about 2013 when we were doing one of our healthy running seminars in, uh, at a place called Roush Physical Therapy in Los Angeles. And in the audience was a sports chiropractor who had recently come over from South Africa who'd worked with multiple Olympians over there. And when we heard Lawrence speak, he gave a presentation on fascia. And very few people were talking about fascia in 2013. And he demonstrated just some amazing assessments, corrections. He taught me how to do a Turkish getup, which I still do three to four times a week until till this day, five on each arm, right, Lawrence? That's all it's you it. need to do. <laughs> I do. I did remember something and learn this uh, amazing exercise called the awesomeizer, which I put in my book, you know, with full credit, credit to Lawrence. But maybe Lawrence, just tell us a little bit about your background in sport and and getting into you know healing runners and you know your time in South Africa and how you ended up here. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, yeah, I remember that very fondly. It was like I really knew in the in the in the U.S. and you and Jay were just welcoming. And I mean, the next thing I was talking to a medical conference in Boston <laughs> after a little fascia presentation, but. Um, so yeah, thank you. And thanks for my, the mention in the book. Um, so I, I was a swimmer when I was young and really into swimming and interesting enough, I swim, I was a breaststroke swimmer and breaststroke swimmers almost end up with, I call them a hip stuck in reverse, but hips that are really good at flexion and not really good at driving. And later on, I, I, you know, I started doing triathlons and I was quite good, but my running was abysmal compared to my swimming and I studied as a chiropractor and in about my fourth year of being a chiropractor, I started, we were licensed as massage therapists. I started massaging comrades runners. So for those of you that don't know, in South Africa, we had an ultra distance road race called the Comrades Marathon, which has got a very proud history and it's a big deal. And it's 90 Ks roughly or 60 miles on undulating and it's pretty, you've done it. It's, I've it's, done it's it twice. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> and the people that actually run the whole thing, that's incredible. Yeah. I did a good bit of walking both times I did that run. Yeah. So in a, in a quirky twist of fate, I started, I was desperate to improve my running in triathlon and I, I runners in South Africa run comrades and sort of started running with this group. Then I started treating and massaging them. And so it is, I, I, I introduced this because I, I very soon worked at a, while I was still a student, I worked on very high level and high caliber runners. 
And also like kind of you're working with a, someone that's going to go on a 50K training run after your session, they got a lot of time to think about what you did and what you didn't do in that session. <laughs> and so the feedback was, was had consequence. Like if you, if you did something wrong, they were really unhappy about it. And if they were happy, then they were very grateful, but you know, like over 50, you know, it, it was, it, it was a, the consequences were, were great to whatever changes or, or the treatment that you made. But that was like what I, I learned on my base model was these incredible runners and through just a series of events, I, I ended up working on very, very good runners in South Africa very early in my career. I mean, we're talking, I worked with Josiah Tagwani, um, who won the 1996 Atlanta Olympic games. He was the gold medalist and he was present at the opening of my first practice. So I, I was basically as almost as a student treating world-class marathoners and runners. I was completely immersed in that. And I, I think it's relevant because I know what world-class runners feel like and what they, what they move like and how they express movement and what movement means to them. And then <clears throat> I think an emphasis that I do slightly differently, I was always trying to get amateurs to be more like world-class runners. I didn't start on amateur runners and then work my way up. Um, which is interesting because like once an athlete said to me like, well, how do you know that this is right? And I said, because this is what world-class runners feel like. And I want you to feel and move like a world-class runner. You know, that was my, my, my tenth and base level. So I was pretty fortunate. And also, yeah, like, like I say, in an unforgiving environment where the either you made a positive difference or you made a negative difference. Um, and so quite quickly, I think it, it just helped shape and frame the way I, I, I worked on people. And then I got it, I did a postgraduate sort of certification in sports chiropractic. And then I, I got really interested in movement and rehab. And in about 2000, I saw someone working on fascia and I was like, just blown away. I was like, where are you working? Why would you work there? That doesn't make a difference. And then I saw the change in the, in the athlete afterwards. And I was like, that's extraordinary amount of change. And, and I started thinking about fascia. We were lucky we could do dry needling when I was treating and, and dry needling can influence the fascia quite a bit. It's pretty dramatic. And so I started like on this, treating as a chiropractor, as a sports chiropractor, doing a lot of rehabilitation, a lot of movement. I was an athletic trainer. I worked with rugby teams, so like 60 rugby players. I was the fitness and conditioning for them. Um, I worked with lifesavers. I, I worked with so many athletes in so many fields and doing movement and rehabilitation. And I think all that knowledge like goes into your brain and you get this like base level of, of movement. Um, and then, like I said, it started dabbling in fashion. I, I, from 2000, always think I read Thomas Meyer's book and I was always intrigued by fascia. I think by 2012, I'm almost like inverted my brain and I realized like, oh, I got fascia. Like, like I, I understand and I could see fashion. I could see tension influencing us. Because remember, we're trained on a, on a mechanistic or the current scientific model is muscles support your posture. And if you have a weak muscle, then your posture will collapse or you know, if you famously, if your glutes are weak, then your hip will drop when you're running. And I almost like managed to see that tension could push you through your hip and create that same dysfunction that we think is a muscle and maybe your whole body's influencing your glute and it, 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 you can't almost strengthen your way out of, out of a big fascia. Like if your fascia is really tight, you, you almost can't strengthen your way out of that kind of tension. Yeah, and for so those of you that um, Lawrence mentioned Thomas Meyer's book, and you introduced me to that book in 2013, yeah. I'd heard about it, but the book is called Anatomy Trains by Thomas yeah. Myers. And if you've kind of heard about fascia and 
this sounds interesting, go pick up the book and, and you can start to connect the dots, but he really maps out how the body's connected in fascial planes and, and lines and, and springs. It's a fascinating yeah. read. Yeah. And then I think, um, you know, like also for fascia is like, once you start working with fashion you, and you, you start, it's really powerful. You can make dramatic changes in humans' bodies and in the way they move. Um, and also, but quite quickly you realize that there's a whole nother world behind fascia, like what makes fascia type, what doesn't make fascia type, but it's really, you also, it's really relevant to runners. Like, well, what does this mean to me? Like a fascia sounds amazing is that you, you learn to use the elastic energy in your body and as an energy return system. And I think if you start thinking about fascia as opposed to strength and, and muscles, the benefits to you as a runner would be that you'll start improving your economy of running, improving your efficiency of running, you'll muscle it less and use more elasticity and rhythm and um, which is how your body's designed to move, right? We, we're fluid because we're 70% water. And in the, the, there's, if you dissect a human body, like it's easy to separate out a muscle and say, when that contracts, this moves. But if you look at it, if you go to anatomy trains, if you just Google the musculoskeletal system, there's a lot of white stuff and they're all giant springs. And to use your, to not think of your hips as something that possibly hurts if you sit too much, but you realize like the front of your hips is a big giant spring and it's an elastic energy return system that improves efficiency and movement. I think, you know, that's, that's where the magic or possibly the benefit to, to runners, like you start to shift and start to, to find efficiency. I mean, humans populated the earth because we're one of the most efficient movers in the world. And you want to, like, I think a lot of people focus a lot on calories and VO2 maxes and almost like burning more energy to move quicker. Whereas like, yeah, we're really efficient. You probably want to be like the fastest runners in the world are probably also the most efficient runners in the You're world. Burning less at a certain speed. Now you yeah. just got back. It was it was enjoyable seeing some of your your texts and pictures, Lawrence, from Tokyo, and yeah. um, you know if you don't mind sharing, I mean you you did a couple amazing uh, things there with with a couple athletes that probably weren't even on the radar. So, so Lawrence went over there with Flora Duffy. Yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about Flora, who ended up winning the gold medal in the women's triathlon from a small country called Bermuda. I think their population is i'm in a small state and i think bermuda's population is even smaller than the state of west virginia but she she won the gold medal and that must just give you such joy to see you know someone you've worked with but what what's some of the magic that you were able to do to bring her to that 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 place she, she ran that 10k in like what 32 minutes 33 yeah. 33 and like 100 She's degrees like 50. Six seconds quicker than the, the next fastest 56 runner. seconds quicker than the next fastest runner in the Olympics. Yeah. That She's in another league. What are some yeah. things that we all could learn from how Flora treated her body and trained and some of the, the things you may have noticed with her? So so from my work, I started working with Flora in like 2015. Um, and when I, she came just because a friend was seeing me and she thought she'd check me out, right? <laughs> I looked at Flora and I was like, uh, she doesn't mind me me saying this, by the way, but like she had a lot of tension in her body, like a lot. And she 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 was one of the best, and she'd won world championships in kind of like Xterra, um, and she was she was really good. Hang on, I'm just trying to think. Was it 2016? Might have been. Sorry, sorry, 2017. I I hadn't seen her before the Rio Olympics, only after. Okay, so anyway, so um, I. I 
she, she had a lot of tension in her body, right? And she was kind of unaware of the tension in, in her body. And she had got to being very, very good by sort of working really hard and being very professional. Um, she's got a great, you know, she's really good at overcoming problems and, and making the right decisions because I think like people underestimate how important it is to solve problems. There's no easy road to becoming the best in the world. You, you, there's no carpet that gets rolled out for you. You know, they're often really good problem solvers and, and good at making good decisions. So she had all of that, but she had a really, really a lot of tension in her body and restriction. Um, you know, treated her, I think she felt a bit better, but subsequently she went back to South Africa to train um, and she got a hip injury and a sacral stress reaction. And I sort of, then she was like, okay, I need help. And so I helped her with those and gave her some exercise. One of them was, was like, we broke down the awesomizer, but kind of like the awesomizer type exercises. And then she got to the States and I treated her. And basically in a period of six to eight weeks, she, she took about, we estimate about a minute, 90 seconds, maybe even more of the 10K time in six to eight weeks. The, like the, the times just dropped because she learned to use her hips in it as they kind of intend and learn and like took the restrictions out of her hips. Um, for those of you that cycle, I, I like the analogy that hips are like the bottom bracket of your bicycle. If you tighten your bottom bracket too tight, it's really hard to turn the pedals. So just by opening up and freeing up your hips and having restoring proper function to your hips, she went 90 seconds better. And then Flora was probably the best biker in the sport in, in her field at the time. And so she kind of needed like a two minutes, maybe a two and a half minute buffer to win a race. And suddenly she didn't need that buffer anymore because she could run more or less as fast as, as the people around her. So that was like a really big breakthrough. And then um, she really started running well, like sub subsequently after that. And then, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about someone's injuries, but she basically injured her foot, which took her out. She was the best in the world um, and running really well in 2018. And she got a foot injury and running really well. And she got a foot injury, which well, took basically a year to overcome and then had a couple of niggles leading up to, so in 2018, she was the favorite for, for the golden in Tokyo. I don't think she, by any stretch of the imagination, she was unknown. Um, but 2019 were tough. 2020 was tough with COVID. She also had an injury. I couldn't see her ever because we just were in separate countries and I, I couldn't get to treat her. So, um, you know, this year was amazing because I like, I, kind of saw every three weeks and, and worked with her and we just focused on just opening her body up and releasing tension. And you get to a certain point where I think it's quite important, like the mechanistic view of, of fascia is like you can foam roll it up or you can cup it or you can needle it. But basically it, there's a lot to do with the psychology. Um, you can't separate emotion from motion. It's the same word, you know, ex motion, out of motion. I can see if you're depressed. I can see if you're inspired. I can see if you're angry when you're running. We were very good at reading body language and, and reading a person. And so kind of working on almost like the psyche at that stage for, for Flora to hold, um, to not, to run with no tension, to, to open up, to be undertered, to fulfill your purpose is, is, is kind of what you want to do. If you want to have a, a beautiful run, <laughs> you know, if you have, angry or tight or apprehensive, you know, it massively affects your physiology and it massively affects your hormones and your neuro hormonal cycle. So, you know, she likes me treating her like physically. Um, 
like because I release and she's very gifted and as if we if we can open up her hips and create more space then she can run that run faster some people need to learn how to run faster so you can create space but then they have to learn there's like a, a stepping stone is like how do you translate the range of motion that you've got into a skill that's translatable to your sport Flora doesn't seem to have a problem like if you make a move better she runs faster done there's no intermediate phase so she likes it when I treat her because she can immediately feel like yeah this is good or this is not good um, but for a lot of people, you can replicate this with, with movement. Um, like the awesomeizer is a great, really fantastic way of trying to understand what your body does. And we've done you, a video of that. I can link, or maybe I'll link to yours. Like if we talk about some exercises, your, your YouTube channel is fascinating for, you know, you mentioned the, the hips, Lawrence, what would be, cause we can link to the, the videos and you walk through that, you, you walk through it so simply and you demonstrate, but what would be a couple you know, ones that you've shown, you know, through your videos that anyone out there could watch and assess. And, you know, we have done the kind of the happy hips and the happy penguin. Those are a couple that I do every morning just before I kind of get myself rolling. (laughs) But what are, what are, uh, from what you've watched in runners, they don't have the luxury of having you there being able to tailor it, but kind of stuff. Sorry, so thanks, Dr. Mark. I, so I think that, that like now, like I've evolved a bit since I've last seen you. So I, I feel like the, there's two movements that all athletes must learn right off the bat. Um, I, I, I think it's interesting with COVID, with breathing, I think breathing is really, really, really important and it's misunderstood. And I really urge everyone that's listening to rethink breathing. Um, you yeah, know, we you can, yeah, that was my next question, getting into the breathing, but yeah, yeah. so important. So, so the, the first exercise would be syncing up, sort of rounding and arching of your spine, like cat-cow, to breathing. And basically, when you arch, you want to breathe in, and when you round, you want to breathe out. And I've got a YouTube video. We, we can, I'm sure we can send you the link to that. It's really, really important. If, if you breathe antagonistically, and um, so if, you, if your movement goes, if your breath goes against your movement, it locks and you become, you have splintered breath and splintered spine. And so freeing your diaphragm up, frees up your spine, freeing up your spine, frees up your diaphragm. And if the two work synergistically together, you, you get almost like your spinal engine. You get, you get a deep sense of core power in your movement. If you, if you watch the Paralympics, um, you'll see like very, particularly if you watch athletes with one leg, you'll see how much they use their spine to move. And, and I, I think in, in the Western world, we, I think cause people can like activate or brace their core, have tension in their core, which restricts your breathing, but it also shuts down spinal movement. And I think you can get very one dimensional, very static or, or rigid in your movement if, if that's the case. So the first exercise is learning how to softly arch and round your spine and sync that up to breathing so that you're breathing in we as you can, are. We can do that space. right now, actually, like if, because I was kind of doing it as you're saying it, and it's actually, yeah, yeah. you can feel this in about a minute. So just yeah. if, whether you're sitting or standing, just get in a nice posture and kind of breathe in through your nose and just feel a little bit of an arch. Yeah. Pause, breathe out, even purse lip or through the nose. Feel a little bit of a rounding. And now next time you go run, and I've played with this, it's kind of wild. Like as you breathe in, it's almost like you are harnessing this energy. You're kind of breathe in. You just arch a little bit, you know, breathe out, just kind of round a little bit. I mean, anything yeah. else you'd want to share in demonstrating that uh, to someone? No, just, that's pretty, should be that's pretty, pretty much gentle. it. But, but if you're locked, yeah. right, you, you just lose that energy. If like you're just di- trying to diaphragm breathe and there's no spinal movement, 
especially if yeah. you're moving. I think you kind of, like you say, you kind of work against yourself. Yeah, so you can get splintered, your diaphragm can get locked, it pushes your heart rate up, your blood pressure up, and then it's just like it puts you in a state of anxiety and stress. So it's a, it's a very good way of running with lower heart rate and more efficient. Um, and also your psoas muscles are linked to your diaphragm. So like so many people got tight hips, don't have enough hip extension when you're running. I'm really about hip control and coordination and massive hip extension for running. And if your breath is soft and you... You sort of have that gentle rounding and arching in your movement. Your your psoas let go, and your hip, your stride length opens up, and your hips open up, which is very protective for your back and your hips. Now I've so heard like you talk deal. about, and maybe you could walk people through it. Like, and and I visualize this. It's really powerful. You, when you, when you're running, you want to get hip extension, and you can't kind of force that. And you kind of talk people through just trying to soften your hips. Somehow, just soften your hips when you run, and that allows that hip extension to happen but is, is yeah. there a way you you try to talk people through that so they get it or, or what are some you know what are some tips the way, I've, the way i've evolved to working now is is i solve people's running problems in in my room <laughs> or on the video and when you run you want to kind of not think um because basically like if you move better you'll run better and, and yeah, it sounds self-obvious, but what you don't want to do is have people overthinking when they're running too much. Um, but anyway, a, a really gentle cue and a big shift that I think really, really helps you with your hips is, and this is for running, not sprinting. Okay, we're not talking about, sprinting is different. <laughs> it's like another universe. We're talking about running. So anything from 400 up, not, not 60 yards and 100 yards, okay, is to think about, instead of lifting your knees when you run, which kind of, if you if you lift your knees now, if you're standing and lift your knees, if you're sitting and lift your knees, it'll contract your spine and your spine will shorten and your hips will get tight. And you probably find like your hips almost go back a little bit. So when you're running or walking is to think, let your knees go forward. Like, so float your knees down the road or float your knees forward and that will softly open up your stride. And also it'll soften up your how your hip action in your psoas muscles. If we over recruit, I, I'm... For me personally, I like people to work in their running technique, doing like the awesomizer and walking and softly have tech, have, to have soft cues when you're running. Um, but, and I personally don't like any cue in running that probably involves flexion or contracting. Um, the, you know, there's no wrong movement. The, like if I'm learning how to play a guitar, I can do scales. It's, there's nothing, there's no bad practice. Um, so you, you, any drill is good, like B skips, A skips, like butt flicks, they're all good. But, but what I think what people get into trouble is when they're running is they overemphasize that in their running. And that will almost be like a musician that's instead of him playing music, he starts playing scales during his song. And like you, no one wants to hear scales. You know, that's a requirement for the skill of movement, but it's not what you should be thinking about. So I, th I think in running, I don't like anything that involves, I think humans need to relax and up and let go and open up and i'm very nervous of anything that involves contracting so like knees up kind of you contract your hips um like you know i don't know feet up off the ground shortens your stride increased cadence kind of shortens your stride so anyway floating your knee down the road really softly relaxes your hips and opens up your stride and, and you'll probably find a lot more rhythm and fluidity I, I like people to think about rhythm and fluidity when they run and it'll, it'll all be fine um, we don't want staccato so if you go if you're working on cadence you want to take 180 steps a minute it's like it's it's 
tap, tap, taps, staccato, it, it makes people tense. And I mean, that's why they have drums before you go to war. It's because you're trying to build a bit of backbone into people. So I think it's the enemy of fluidity. Running should be, you're breathing in, you're getting kind of bigger, you're breathing out, you're rounding softer, and you you, you learn to find the, the, rhythm, the rhythm and fluidity when you move. And it's almost like trail running. If each step's a little different, you don't get tired. You know, when you run on the trail, it's remarkable how much less damage you get. And it's not just because the ground's softer, it's because each step's a little different. So I think in, in running, you want to find that fluidity and softness and, and soft cues and nothing too dramatic and definitely shortening. We, at the moment, humans just hold on to things and internalize everything. And if you don't believe me, go to your, when you go home, go to your closet, there's a coat that you haven't worn for three years and you can't throw it away. <laughs> we, we hold on and internalize. We're always thinking and thinking things in. And a lot of people run to get their frustrations out. And I reckon you should sort your frustrations and then go for a run because perfect practice makes perfect. If, if it takes 30 or 40 minutes before you feel the release and you feel, oh, I feel so much better. Just remember you ran 30 or four minutes tense and emotionally tense. And I'd much rather you clear your mind, relax, unwind, work in your breathing and go for a 34 minute run with no tension in your body and a calm and relaxed mind. And then that's that, you know, you banking 30 to 40 minutes running of being fluid and relaxed and in a good space compounds so dramatically. So, so to get back to Flora, I know we're kind of skipping around, but like you said, what's the magic? I have a saying like a happy athlete is a fast and skinny athlete. And I think it's really appropriate for sort of for female athletes too. So Flora's coach, I'm not a running, I'm not a coach, right? I just help her move better. <laughs> and my job is to like make sure she doesn't get injured. But she, um, her coach was really adamant that she increased her, her nutrition. So she was working hard and almost eating more than she's eaten before. And her husband was like, yeah, Lawrence, really? A happy athletes are fast and skinny athlete? And I said, yes. <laughs> so she, she did her run sessions with two delightful friends and they used to joke and laugh and there's a lot of banter going on. And then Dan, Dan Flora's husband was saying, well, you're going to be really happy because Flora's, Flora's really enjoying her running and she, they, she's got great company for her long runs and great company for her sessions. And there's a lot of laughing and, and joking going on. And so much so that he said the last hill repeat session she did before the Olympics, he says, I don't know if there was more laughing or running that happened. And, you know, I kind of seen, I just, I was seeing floor in three months and three week snapshots. And I mean, by the time she got to the Olympics, I'd never seen her that lean and I'd never seen her. It's almost that light and moving that well. And I, I think it's really is a product of of what you put in is what you get out. And I think we need to reframe what we put in and what we get out because fascia is so linked to our emotion. Emotion and motion, you cannot separate. And I think, you know, you, you, I know it sounds weird, but looking back on my career, this is the stuff I wish I'd known in the beginning. Like, you know, if you win, your testosterone levels increase, testosterone amplifies whatever you believe to be winning. So if you're an aggressive person and you believe I need to win and you need to not win, or like let's say worst case scenario, I'm gonna I need to beat someone into submission and that's winning, then possibly it, when your testosterone levels increase, you can become more aggressive. But so winning increases your testosterone and losing decreases your testosterone. That happens. And it happens to people that co-participate. So when Flora wins, my testosterone levels rise and when Flora, you know, so anyway, but the important thing is if a Buddhist monk 
if he perceives winning to be giving and caring for others, then when he gives and cares for others, his testosterone levels will increase. And the increase in testosterone will make him more caring and more giving. So I think like really we need to reframe, and I know it sounds weird, but the quickest way to be flexible is to be flexible. The quickest way to run fluidly is to be fluid of mind and body. And the quickest way to, to like what, what makes your mitochondria sing? We know that like depression decreases mitochondrial function. We know that um, there's lots of things that decrease mitochondrial function. And I, th I think, you know, on Flora's race where she just, you could just see if you watched her race, go do it because it's just, you can just see she's just in the moment, present, let go and just had an extraordinary um, race. And part of that is because when you're happy, your mitochondria function better. When, you, when you're happy and, and fluid and open and you, know, you just move better. And I think training happy, um, and I'm not necessarily saying happy because I mean, I, I do respect the fact that it's not always easy. People have very tough and hard lives and running can be an escape, but I do think reframing your goals, reframing what minute winning means to you, trying to calm and clear your mind before you go to run will make more improvements in how you move and your flexibility than any phone roller or therapist can. No, I think you're, you're spot on there, Lawrence, you know, at almost 55, it's kind of what I've witnessed too. You know, when people are tense and type A and grumpy, it doesn't turn out well. <laughs> and if, when, if you just show up and have joy, you know, no matter what time is on the clock, I think you end up having a wonderful experience. And uh, yeah. you probably help someone else out there along the way too and bring them yeah. along. You had another athlete too, a 46-year-old female cyclist and yeah. she ended up almost meddling now what what is it that for, at 46 like because that's probably what a lot of people are interested in how is she approaching sport now to be able to compete at that level at age 46 this was the cycling time trial correct is that what yeah yeah, the yeah so she was 11 seconds off a of, of podium you know? yeah it's like a nothing that's like a in a bike race that's a car you know that's nothing well i'm trying to remember her name she was uh amber neben that's right amber from the neben. netherlands correct no or yeah. u.s was she no, no no she's u.s yeah yeah, US. yeah she's US. yeah so i mean i met amber she she fractured her pelvis in the tour of california and when i met her she was She'd been in chronic pain for two years and she said, I'll know I'll never ride like I used to, but I just don't want to ride in pain anymore. And then we kind of got Amber out of pain and then suddenly she was all about riding faster. <laughs> um, so I've had a very long history with Amber. She's probably the athlete that I've worked with consistently the longest ever. Um, you know, I, she's local. I work with her for a long time now, um, probably since 2015. And yeah, Amber, Amber reflects a lot of what we're talking about. You know, she, she's a very um, deeply religious person and her spirituality reflects in her movement. She's mastered, like, again, just using your hips in it. So, so the second video you want to watch is after you've rounded an arch and synced your, your diaphragm is, uh, we'll post the links, I hope, um, as either pelvic locks or with synchronous hip movements. And we need to learn synchronous hip movements because there's 36 muscles if you put your hands on either side of your hips, between your hands are 36 muscles, and they are horizontal muscles mostly. So your leg muscles are vertical, your spine muscles are vertical, but at your hips, you've got 36 muscles that are horizontal. And if you, if 
you move with too much tension in those muscles, it locks your hip movement. So that they have to be soft and they have to work in concert. You've got 36 muscles that need to play like an orchestra. And I think Amber's mastered that. Like she's learned to relax with soft, relaxed power and learn, learn that sort of hip drive and hip function. Um, and she's learned to, to her, and this is really important. And I think it's the way, for, it is the sustainable way for all people for high performance is to your athletic performance should be a, a reflection of craft. So you don't want to beat other people and when I win, you lose because that's amazing when you're winning, but it's not amazing <laughs> when you're not winning, okay? So you kind of want to, I like people to view their, their athleticism as a craft or an art. And so, you know, like this screen behind me is a Van Gogh painting. Um, and, you know, he wasn't celebrated in his own lifetime, but he was true to his art and that, that lasts. And so I think when people view, so Anne basically celebrate her cycling is a reflection of a spirituality and it's an art um, and it's a gift and a blessing. And, and that kind of, you know, move well and move for movement's sake. And, you know, you go out there and you give it the best shot and, and her outcomes, I mean, obviously she wants to win and obviously she wants to do better relative to other people, but most of it, it's, she has such a good intrinsic belief system and an intrinsic value system that her, you know, she moves with joy and she, her movement is a celebration of, of her being. And I think, you know, she's, that's the secret and that she knows how to make her mitochondria sing. Wow. Cause yeah, the I other writers were half her age. Most of yeah. them. Yeah. yeah 46. 46 to be, <laughs> and she like, 46. you know, ifs and buts, everyone's got an if and but story, but you know, there were a couple of factors where she could well have podiumed. You know, and she was the first U.S. rider home, so it, it, you know it was a remarkable performance. But she felt like, yeah, could have on the day. You know, she didn't finish the day and said that was my best. That's my ultimate. You know, one or two things differently, she could have, you know, had, had a slightly better result. I mean, one or two things worse. She does appreciate that she could have done a little bit worse. But it wasn't by no means was she strung out and there's nothing left. And, and then, you know, in contrast, like her, her, one of her big rivals was Kristen Armstrong, who got gold in Rio, you know, and Kristen, when she finished, she was strung out and rang out, had a blood nose. You know, that's a very different way of, of competing and asking your body to do something. And, you know, I think, you know, as a doctor, nervous system trauma, it's not forgiving. And I think kind of my message is don't traumatize your nervous system, find a way to, make running restorative and healthy and, and that compounds and it grows and, you know nervous system trauma there's a lot of instances that people never recover from some traumas do you think some of that like when you said that she felt like she still had a little bit something there you know at the end you know and tim noakes you know a good friend and colleague of both mm -hmm. of ours from south africa you know talks about that central governor you know yeah. so so at at the end amber was like i you know, I'm still alive. Where's that 11 seconds where Kristen Armstrong, you know, probably had nothing. But maybe that was some of that past trauma, you know, made her shut down a little bit earlier. But do, do yeah. you think uh, you think any you think there is another layer that she could have gone to or, you know, no, 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 no I think she I think just her, uh, that that was that was it that day. Yeah. And no, I fact, think physiologically, like she raced well i mean sometimes they go into pacing i could have gone a little quicker on that section and made up time here but you only know that in hindsight no she left her, her heart garment strap on which at that stage at that level is is a couple of seconds 
her buying fit wouldn't want wasn't what she wanted it to be. Like she could have had a cleaner cockpit, which was 30 seconds. Like, no, 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 there was there was time, you know, her performance on the day was, you know, it, it was along those lines. But with central governor, it is really interesting. It's like, you know, I had this athlete. I mean, we're going over time now. Can we carry on? Talk? Yeah, we can carry on for a few. Yeah. So so I, I worked with this with a a cyclist and his coach said, like, he, he, you're going to do these watts, you're going to do these intervals at this watts. And the coach is, is a world-renowned, like, he passed on from, like, not passed on, he, he's, like, taken the torch from Tim Noakes, and he's, he's considered a world expert in, I'm going to get myself in trouble here, in, in the central governor and in, in what limits fatigue. And his approach was, you've simply got to learn to suck it up. Like, so, you be, sort of, I'm paraphrasing, I wasn't there at the time, you know, but basically, you do two-minute intervals at 400 watts and then a break and then another two and another two and another two. And basically he said, look, this is kind of pain tolerance and you're not supposed to, to, to be able to do it. So at three and a half repetitions, he's like, I can't move anymore. Come back next week. Next week you go again. And basically he was, he was saying like, look, you know, you'll learn to, to cope with the pain and then it'll get better. And one day you'll be able to do, you know, sort of six intervals of two minutes at 400 watts and then he's just going to make it 440 watts and you're going to learn to deal with that the interesting thing is, is like everyone's had that experience where it's one day especially in cycling they call it no chain days where it just doesn't seem your bicycle has a chain and you're on top of the pain and in the psychology of like sucking it up is when you're dishing it out it's easier than when you're receiving it and that immediately goes into that testosterone what you perceive to be winning i, I promise you you know you like a really good tip that's not mine, it's from Jack Daniels, who's a very well-known running coach. He said, if you're feeling bad in a race, try speeding up a little. <laughs> it can make a big difference. You know, like, you, oh, I'm going to drop off. And just that change in psychology of like, now I'm going to speed yeah, up. Speed and then up. suddenly you're winning and then you're making gains. And then like your testosterone levels, this whole neurobiology. So, you know, I do think in central governor, the way to trick the central governor is to move with ease and grace and efficiency because... Otherwise, for me, it's like like you've got a bowl of hot potatoes. You pick up a potato and you bring it back. Your fingers are now hot. After a while, the potatoes are cooling down, but they perceive to be hotter and hotter. And at some stage, you can't pick up a potato anymore. And I think that's sensitivity. That's new neural sensitivity. I, I don't think people should be pushing themselves and experiencing too much pain, definitely not in training and cautiously in racing. Because after a while, it's nervous system trauma, you're... Your body's not that fussy when it comes to nervous system trauma. And when we have nervous system trauma, we tighten up. And, and you know, it's almost like I talk about this, like, giant octopus inside us. Like, the octopus isn't fussy. You traumatize that giant, like, your nervous system's a giant octopus. You traumatize it, its default is it tightens up. You know, an octopus shrinks and disappears. So lack of sleep, emotional trauma, physical trauma, if I shock you, if I, you know, it doesn't matter what the trauma is. That nervous sensing will start to tighten up. And you've seen it in medicine where you see like, like a meningitis, which is a really inflamed nervous system. And people can't, they can't even tilt their head for two degrees. You know, people get that. And it's, and it's like, you know, um, and, and it makes a big deal in your VO2 max, which is obviously measurable and everyone understands VO2 max. Like flora before the Olympics, um, you know, three weeks later, she raced, and you know, there's there's a whole lot of emotional, there's there's relief because there's big pressure from from Bermuda. I mean, they loving country and her support team was incredible, but 
Bermuda was like, get our gold medal so we can party. <laughs> so there's a lot of expectation on her, right? And then there was interviews and there's a lot going on afterwards. So but anyway, she raced three weeks late and she, you know, she was 90 seconds slow in a 10K and looking tight and looking wound up because she was tight and wound up because you know there's not a change in your physiology. You don't lose 90 seconds of fitness over 10K in three weeks. But you, what you can do is you know, like be out of your routine, out of your comfort zone, pulled apart, distracted, relieved, like all of those things. And, and you know, suddenly, you know, I, I think that makes a bigger difference than most people think is is those no chain days or those days when you run and it's just effortless. I think we should be trying to seek and emulate those days. And the more of those days you have, the more that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of moving well, feeling good. It's reinforcing, you know, like the old days of sucking it up and toughing it out. Um, I, I don't think, I think that has finite returns and very particular to the females in the audience, um, please, you're tougher than the men, don't, you don't have to suck it up and especially the young females, it's very common at, at like the college level and high school level, you know, I'll see guys coming in kind of limping and don't even want, they don't want to put their foot down and they'll have like a midfoot sprain. I'll see girls walking in and they've got a stress fracture that they've had for two and a half months have been running through it. Like, and then the coach is kind of t telling the girls to suck it up and the guy's like, okay, you go see Lawrence now. That doesn't look good. Like females, please, your pain tolerance and your ability to suffer is <laughs> way greater than men. So, you know, like don't run through pain and don't yeah, thank traumatize you for yourself. That. That's so, yeah, we see people walk into the store here, you know, and yeah. you just, you see the stress fracture across the room just by yeah. how they're walking. Maybe to kind of kind of close it out, you know, when, when I did your workshop, the Inner Runner workshop, so much focus was on, you know, breathing, nasal breathing, breathing through the bottom. But maybe just describe for folks or walk us through kind of a little breathing practice. Um, you, you saw it in the Olympic marathons, watching the ladies and the, and the men, like the lead runners, their mouths were closed. Yeah. Especially the as they're running, like, you know, dropping people off the front of the pack. Their mouths are closed. But maybe explain like what the breathing through the bottom is and how we would use our nose and just in that act of breathing through the day, what we could focus on and then translate that to our running. Because it sounds like that's like a lot of the heart of all this is if we get our breathing mastered, mm. then at least we can start to sort the rest of the tightness out. But if our breathing's not not mastered, it's going to be hard to sort the rest out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, breathing is massive. Like 80% of back pain is associated with a breathing pattern disorder. And, and and if you don't breathe well, you don't move well. I mean, it's just like, it's a given. So nose breathing is, is noses are for breathing, mouths are for eating and talking. Okay. So the most important thing with nose breathing is you want, at night when you sleep, you should nose breathe when you sleep at night. If you wake up with a dry mouth, you're mouth breathing when you sleep at night and you want to kind of start exploring how you get to sleep and breathe through your Yeah, nose. I do the tape you, at you, night, that little piece of tape. If, uh, yeah, you people, can get myotape. So myotape is a... Is a any athletic it tape. It goes around your lips. You can still mumble. You can take a sip of water, but it kind of helps keep your lips closed. And most people, that's adequate. Um, it's not as scary as it sounds. If you really have a blocked and congested nose and you can't possibly breathe through your nose, I mean, you know, please seek professional help. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> but the myotape's pretty good because in those instances, your mouth will open, you will mouth breathe. So, so, so you know, some people on, on a spectrum really can't nose breathe and, you know, I encourage you to gently start exploring how to nose breathe. But, you know, for brevity's sake, 
I, th I think that's the big deal is, is if you nose breathe when you sleep at night, one is you won't get as many cavities, but two, you, your, your recovery goes through the roof, your heart rate variability improves, your sleep quality improves, and it's a big deal. You, if you're mouth breathing at night, you know, you could be very frustrated with not getting results working on your mouth on nose, on nose breathing during the day. So, so make sure that, you know, your, your first priority is like you sleep and breathe through your nose at night, that that would be important to resolve. Right. And then your nose moistens air, filters out microbes, bacteria, particles. Um, it adds nitric oxide to your, your breathing and the nitric oxide is a vasodilator. So basically, enlarges your lungs and relaxes your lungs so people that nose breathe are 15 to 17 percent more efficient in in oxygen transfer than mouth breathing if we talk about mouth breathing mouth breathing if, if you can do this simple test so if, if you're sitting or standing just trying to sit and stand relatively upright you're going to take a, a full breath through your nose if you can and kind of notice what part of your chest and and breath moves, I can then breathe out and then take a big breath through your mouth and notice what part of your chest moves and then sort of alternate the two. So go nose breathing and then take a deep breath in and out through your mouth. And what a lot of you may notice is that when you mouth breathe, the top of your chest moves and when you nose breathe, your diaphragm and your lower ribs move. And basically nose breathing, because there's a little bit of resistance, it almost changes the mechanics of breathing. You start to draw air deeper and you start to use your diaphragm and you fill your lungs deeper. That compounded with the nitric oxide that's been added by your nose makes breathing way more efficient. You hold on to your oxygen longer. You, there's more efficient oxygen transfer into the bloodstream. So it's a, it's a, and it's not a little difference. It's 15 to 17%, which is massive. So for most people, we want to try and encourage nose breathing as much as possible all the time for, for the diaphragm health for, and like mouth breathing desiccate or dries out your lungs. You get more particle irritation. It can inflame your lungs. Inf inflammation somewhere in your body is inflammation anywhere in your body. We all know in anti-inflammatory diets, but your breathing might be inflaming you more than your diet or more than you, you, you're aware of. So, so for most people, you know, if you're going to start nose breathing when you exercise, you can start with, and your nose gets fitter and you get better at nose breathing, you kind of learn to dilate and flare your nostrils. And, you know, behind your nose, there's a billiard ball size cavity of that, you know, it, it moistens the air, it adds like turbulent flow to the air and adds nitric oxide. It's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, and all animals breathe through their nose. A cheetah breathes through its nose and the deer running for its life breathes through its nose. So we're probably supposed to breathe through our nose. So for most people that like listen to this podcast, if this is strange or you battle, um, you know, I encourage you to start nose breathing just when you're walking and see if that's doable. And then like for your warm-ups and your cool-downs and then slowly sort of your nose will get fitter, you'll get better at it. You can, you can solve the problem of no, nose breathing at night. And after a while, you'll notice that for most people, they can, it's almost like, you know, the Maffetone method, and I know you're a big advocate and, and, and you're, you know, you're, you're 180 minus your age you'll probably notice that you don't need to wear a heart rate monitor. You can just nose breathe. And yeah. if, you, if you're running, <laughs> yeah, you're, in the right place. Breathe, you're running too fast. Yeah. Those two, those two, con those two often line up very, very remarkably similarly. Um, you know, some people unfortunately have got broken noses or, or deviated septums and it's, it's not necessarily true, but people can get up to 92% of their VO2 max. Um, no, sorry, 92% of their maximum heart rate still nose breathing. In, in trained individuals with gifted nostrils.
Yeah, it takes so, some yeah, practice. You, but, well, uh, you can breathe your, you can nose breathe an entire Olympic marathon. Which happened, uh, yeah, which happened this year. If you watch the tape yeah. of the Kenyan ladies and Eliud Kipchoge, yeah. he's yeah. other other than when he was smiling at the end, he was, his <laughs> mouth was which, like yeah, you said, so is that joy. So, so I keep interrupting. So yeah, no, no. He was he he exhibited everything you talked about, like with no tension and relaxation and and, yeah. and joy. Just and he, yeah. you know, blew. I think he won by ninety seconds or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and and it's you know that's win win. So he's running with his fellow runners, and it's a celebration of running. How can you lose? No one loses in Kip Koje's race. And so, like, just running is winning, and just running improves your neurobiology. You know what I mean? Whereas. Like if you're tense and I'm not having a big day and they're running a bit better than me and this guy doesn't let me run this well and now he's running this well. I mean, you know, you, you, you just, I mean, the demons you're fighting to just run and there he is and relaxed and happy and fist pumping and no tension in his body. I mean, it's, it's really, it's profound, you know? Um, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe, you, you know, let people know kind of where we'll, um, we'll share, we make a little show note page for, uh, for this episode so we can share a couple of those videos on the spinal engine and the arching, rounding and arching and the yeah. pelvic, the hips and pelvic clock, yeah. which would be good. Yeah. And I have one on the awesomeizer, or if you have one too, we'll share those. But maybe, yeah. uh, you know, I know you have your website and innerrunner, innerrunner.com. Um, but do you have anything coming up? Because you did some, you know, some wonderful online seminars last summer during COVID. Anything you want to just share with folks about things you do? Or if you're in LA or anywhere on the West Coast and, and you're trying to sort out your running, you know, where can people find your clinical practice? So so I practice in Laguna Beach, which is like an hour south of of Los Angeles. It's it's dead bang between San Diego and Los Angeles. Um yeah, but I think my just going onto the website, you can kind of find resources in, in terms of I mean, you did my online workshop and, and thank you for that. You know, um, I'm going to redo the online workshop and I'm, I'm kind of busy reworking it now into bite-sized chunks because I, I think a little bit stretched out is the way to do a running workshop, like 15 minutes a day or 15 minutes a week and thinking about that for a week and then evolving and evolving. So I really want to layer it up. So, so that'll come out shortly. I'm busy working on it and, and, and you know, we're, we're basically step by step. You can just learn to move better and feel more confident about your running. And that'll be like, it'll be long. It'll be like six months, but an immersive experience that, that we hope will be life changing. Because again, if you change the way you move, you change the way you think. Yeah, I think um, for so most lifelong runners, six months is nothing because they, they want to keep day. doing this, you know, <laughs> into the nursing home. So yeah. exactly. And, yeah. You know, but, like I mean, that's say, the aim is I want to run. I mean, it's very sad, but a lot of the people that were my idols, when I was young and treating and looking after, you know, a lot of them can't run anymore. Like not even a step, like they just cannot run. And I, I don't want to be, you know, I'd love to be able to run and enjoy running, which has been an absolute gift. And then it's part of like who we are and runners, you know, it's our identity as humans. I, I like you have to a beach there. Just I've seen pictures of you out running barefoot on the beach just to get away from the COVID, get on the beach and run barefoot. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Okay, well, so, uh, yeah, so that's innerrunner.com, and that's uh, I-N-N-E-R, runner, R-U-N-N-E-R.com. Yeah, one, run, one R in the middle. Oh, one R in the middle. I'm sorry, inner, yeah. inner runner. Okay, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll, we will share that too. But so great to catch up, Lawrence, and, you know, it's wonderful to have your friendship, and maybe we'll be able to do a course one day together, and uh, you'll bring your magic, and I can bring a little of the medical stuff, but 
Heck, the, the movement stuff, you're the master. I've, I've learned so much from you over the years and continue to do so. So thank you very oh, much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mark. I mean, you're an inspiration. And, you know, like you're one of those people that really, I think that's why we kind of hit it off from your first net. You know, you just get running on a, on a way deeper level, which is just fantastic. And thanks for your education and, well, when you came up, I think it was it was wild when you when we had you up to the Boston Marathon Sports Medicine Seminar. You know, you you blew people away, and then they were all finding you, and because they all got to run a race in two days, yeah. <laughs> so they're like swarming you, and they're like, "Man, my foot hurts!" And like everyone's <laughs> trying to grab you in the hall, and you were treating people on the side because like yeah, sometimes you can even in forty eight hours, you know, help someone relax something, and I think you helped several people just that weekend. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were all yeah. type A. They're all like doctor runners, right? They're all like super, super tense. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fascia. If, if you, if you, it's it's highly changeable and adaptable. You know, it's almost like we just get stuck in patterns. And I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you need to, you need to change in pattern to change the way you move. You know, like it's it's really difficult to to change it. I mean, so here's a big tip. Like it's a really practical tip. If you want to change the way you move, then practice it very slowly and very gently. If you do it quickly, you'll do it the same way you've always done. Like if you if you sign and you sign quickly, you'll sign your autograph. But if you want to change the way you sign, you have to move slowly. And so, so you know, like you just don't see this in PT practices. You just don't see a lot of this out there. People moving really slowly and letting their brain process what they're doing. And then it's remarkable how much you can change in, in a very, very short space of time. So if you want to change the way you move, move slowly. Okay, and move well, carefully and gently. That. That's and a, great, a great message. And um, we'll catch up soon. And you know maybe we'll bring you back and get a little more specific on some of the exercises. Yeah, for sure. Okay, good luck with finishing the <laughs> seminar. I'll sign up. <laughs> It's 15 minutes yeah, yeah, a week. I'm, I can make that for six months. You know, each week, do something. Yeah, something yeah it'll be super manageable. That sounds great. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Mark. Sorry. Um, yeah, it'll be super manageable. Like, like not six month ordeal. Just like, you know, people don't have space for like a, an hour long presentation a lot of the time. And podcasts are great because you can you do can drive and walking. Yeah. yeah. But if you're educating and you, you need to look at graphics, you know, you just basically want a little bit and then practice that. I remember I had to have my computer on because I'm trying to watch you and do yeah. you know, like, am I doing this right or am I not doing this right? Yeah. No, it took a little, you, you couldn't do it at, with your brain fatigued. You had to be pretty like on it to, yeah. to yeah. focus and, yeah. and get, a lot, get, the right, you know, get a lot out of it. Well, good. Yeah. Well, we'll sign off. Great LA right. day. Thanks, Mark. Okay. Thanks, Lawrence. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I Take appreciate care. you. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye.